Amen. Now, Lord, as we come to your word, we open our hearts to you now, Lord. You're the God who speaks, Lord, who wants to speak into our very life and circumstances. Thank you for your precious word. We pray you bless Trish now as she comes to share in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Church, we are really blessed to have Pastor Trish coming to bring the word to us. Trish, Trish looks after our kids' ministry, involved in our women's ministry as well. In fact, lots of things right across our church. She is a huge blessing to us. So I would love it if you could make her feel really, really welcome as she comes to share God's word with us. Thank you so much. Um, it is exciting to be here this morning. I have to apologize in advance. I've been a bit sick this last week um, and I've been weighing up, do, do I call in sick? But I have to tell you, God's word's incredible. Um, and what we're sharing this morning is worth sharing. I mean, it always is week after week, um, but I hope you're ready for that this morning as well. Um, and if it's okay, I'd love to pray again because you can never pray too much, right? Um, so join with me. Oh Lord, we do thank you so much. Um, that you long to speak to us here in this place. Um, and each person here, wherever we're from, whatever journey we've had even get to get here this morning, um, your heart is for us. And so help our hearts to be open to you this morning, I pray, as we share together. We ask this in your name. Amen. Just recently, um, a really good friend of mine was very unwell um, and had spent actually quite a bit of time in hospital. Um, and things came to a bit of a crisis point and they were facing some pretty serious surgery. Um, and this would be life-saving surgery, really. Um, and I had the opportunity to sit next to them while they were waiting to go into surgery and just to share and to pray with them. And in that moment in time, um, it's difficult because you, you're trying to weigh out what you should say. Um, and I know you probably think, because I'm a pastor and this is like my paid position, I should know exactly what to say in that moment. I'd like to say I do, but I don't. Um, and there's a whole lot of things that you could say, you know, that, you know, praying for you, that God is with you and God is for you. And it's true, he is. In fact, the Bible says that God not only has his hand upon us, but he goes before us and prepares the way. You could say that. Um, to be strong and courageous, definitely that as well. Maybe um, just that we're thinking of you, that we are, you know, we're for you in the midst of that journey. Maybe that's not the perfect thing to say. I can tell you what you shouldn't say, though. Because just before this person was being wheeled into this life-saving surgery, I said, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> yep. Don't say that. <laughs> um, of course, um, this person knows and loves Jesus, so it's true. Regardless of what could have happened, I would be seeing them on the other side, but definitely not the words to say. The heart was right, but the words didn't come out quite so right. We have um, been looking at this book, Colossians, which is actually a letter that Paul wrote to some people in Colossae. This is our eighth week, the final week. Um, and if you have been with us, you've been tracking through what Paul's been saying, but you might be new today. And this letter is, a, it is literally a letter he wrote to some people he'd never met before. He is actually writing from prison and he is writing because he's heard of their faith, they've put their trust in Jesus, and they're living for him, they're finding some battles in the midst of it, and so he's written all these things. And over the last seven weeks, we've talked about that. You know, everything that we have, we have because of Jesus. He's supreme, he's above all things. The mystery of God is explained in who Jesus is. He has, been, he has actually made it possible for us to know God, to live with God. And Jesus not only saves us, but he gives us the power through his spirit to live out the life that he saved us too. He is the foundation of all things. And not just our faith, but actually everything in us is built up in him and through him. 
our relationship with God is restored, but our relationship with one another can actually you know reconciliation and life and health because of him. And this reality, this Jesus, the life we have in him is not available just to a select few, not just to some people who have some extreme knowledge, but actually to all people. And that's what Paul's been writing to the people of Colossians about. And he's finishing up this letter. So our Bible has it broken into segments, which we've been studying. But this is one letter he wrote to a group of people. And his final words to them are what we're going to have a look at today. This great news that um, the Colossians have, that Paul has, is actually news worth sharing. And that's what Paul is actually going to spend time saying. His final instructions to the people in Colossians is actually, here you have this news. Let's share this news. And in chapter 4, we're going to read just a couple of verses together to start us off. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. So here's Paul. He said, The message is so great. It is so incredibly good that I want you to pray, but not to pray for my release. I want you to pray that right here in this circumstance, I will have more opportunities than ever before to proclaim the mystery of Christ. There's this desire in him to keep on sharing. In fact, in a letter he wrote to the Philippian church, he tells of an answer to this very prayer. In Philippians 1, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So here's this incredible thing that's taking place. Paul's writing to the people of Colossians and saying, pray for me, I'm in prison, but don't pray for my release, pray for more opportunity to share this great news, the mystery of Christ but not just for me here in prison, actually for everybody who's grabbed hold of this truth, that we'd be bold and proclaim that gospel, because that's what he goes on to say to the, to the Colossian people. In verse five, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There is a deep desire when we have come to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us not to keep it to ourselves, in fact, actually to get it out, to let people know the reality of who he is, this one who is above all, the one who's the foundation of all things, the one who has made it possible for us to know life and life to the full. It's not an obligation. It's not a box to tick. Actually, when we know this truth, just like Paul has said, you can't help but want to share it. It's not that we want to keep it to ourselves. But the pressure when we read these passages can often feel that we go, well, I know I want to do that. And I know actually I'm compelled to do that. But sometimes I feel like I'm beside that hospital bed, the heart is right, and I want to speak truth, but I don't have the words to say. And what if the words I say are actually the worst thing to say to somebody in that moment in time? What do we do with that tension? Because often, we're not like Paul. We're not bold and fierce and willing to be in prison for our faith and thinking, yes, here's the best place to be. Often we feel inadequate. Often we feel afraid that we don't know what to say or concerned that people don't want to hear it anyway. 
or that we might do more damage by speaking than being silent. Or maybe we feel the weight of being embarrassed that we don't want to be one of those people. Unsure how to live this this life out that we have in Jesus and yet knowing that's actually our very calling. But not just our calling, it's actually our desire. So what do we do with that? Paul's given an instruction to the people of Colossians that actually they want to be wise, make the most of every opportunity, and speak to people outside of the faith, people who don't yet know about Jesus. Well, he gives two key instructions to them that we want to explore a little bit today that will help us, I pray, as we keep on pressing on in what God has given us as well as the life that we have found in him. And he goes on to say in verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul has said they're going to have conversations because in the previous verse he said, make the most of every opportunity. As you live life, you will have conversations with people outside of what you know to be true in Jesus. And when you have those conversations, let them always be full of grace. The message that we have to share about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and the life we have in him is a message all about grace. And Paul's instructions are clear, keep it about grace. Now that hasn't always been everyone's experience, maybe here even in this place. Along your life's journey and your encountering of Jesus, perhaps meeting people who know and love Jesus, your experience hasn't been one of grace. Maybe you have felt condemnation Maybe you have felt that there's been a list of requirements that you need to meet to be worthy. Maybe there's been a demand for holiness and perfection before you can come. But that is not the message of Jesus. And when Paul says to the people of Colossae, when you have opportunity to speak, let your conversation always be full of grace. He has spent actually all this time in the letter to remind them how they got to where they are. It was not by what they did. They haven't earned their way there. They're not perfect. They're far from that, just like you and I. But actually they are in this position of knowing forgiveness and knowing love and knowing freedom, of knowing Jesus and being free in the very presence of God, not because of what they did, but because of everything Jesus has done. Everything they have found in Jesus fully and totally is a result of Jesus alone. When Jesus walked this earth, he had encounters with people all the time. In John's Gospel, in chapter 8, it talks about a woman who's been caught in adultery. She's actually dragged out from her very bed in front of Jesus and all these other people. And most commentators will say, even though we see pictures of her clothes, she probably was naked. And here she was being confronted by her sin in a judge and jury right there ready to actually call her to account. And when you read Jesus' interactions with her, you realize that here's this woman. She can't hide what she's done. Her sin is actually on display for all to see. There is a public disclosure and humiliation. There is a law that demands a price. And there is a crowd willing to judge. But what we see with Jesus is we have a savior who will not condemn. And in fact, his interaction with this woman He writes something in the dirt. We don't know what he's written. But one by one, her accusers actually walk away. And when Jesus says to her, who here is left 
to accuse you, she says, no one. And he said, well, I don't condemn you either. And instructs her to leave her life of sin. Now, he knows fully that she's incapable of doing that herself. The power of leaving our life of sin does not come from us. It actually comes from God himself, from a Savior who has made it possible for us not to be condemned, but to know forgiveness. And the forgiveness we see in that passage is the forgiveness of Jesus, and it's the same way it works out in our life. The accusers left one by one. Jesus paid for our sins one by one. Paid for every single sin. The Bible actually tells us that we were on his mind as he was beaten with the whip, as he was carrying his cross, as he hung, struggling for breath. We were on his mind. It's our sin that held him there and he willingly bore the weight of that. He died to pay the price for our sin, the oldest to the youngest of our sins, the, the furthest away to the most recent, right even into the future. In fact, in Christianity Explained, they talk about this reality this way. If my life is, here we go, sorry, getting technical this morning. If I am this person on the right-hand side here, and this is my life, and God is above, he created me to be in relationship with him. But there is sin that separates us from God. And if this book actually held a record of my sin, past, present, future, known, unknown, accidental, deliberate sin, all this is a record and it sits between me and God. And the Bible tells us that God actually loves us. He created us to be in relationship with him, but the sin that separates us must be dealt with. It's not that he undervalues sin. Sin costs an incredible deal. Actually, sin, the penalty of sin is death. And to pay that price, I couldn't do. You can't do. And to have relationship with God, but we have Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, walked this world, but he knew no sin. And he came, and he willingly bore our sin. So that now we can be free before God, without condemnation. Our sin not held against us because the penalty of the sin was paid for by Jesus on the cross. Paid in full, past, present, future, known, deliberate, unknown, accidental sin, all paid in full. That is the message of grace. That is what we have in Jesus. And when Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace, be mindful of what we have in Jesus. When we're talking to other people, and their sins seem so apparent to us, the message of grace, that there is now no condemnation, Romans 8 verse 1 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now I realize when we look at that, the reality of sin is still there. And there's a natural objection that says, well surely we can't just walk this earth only talking about grace. People need to be confronted by their sin. 
And it's interesting, when you look at Jesus' interactions with people, there were actually often two ways he would speak to them. He would talk to them about the law, and he would talk to them about grace. Often he would confront people with the law when they were actually full of their own importance, convinced that in their own right they could save themselves. But when he encountered people like this woman caught in the middle of adultery, broken, aware of their own sin, he responded in grace. Romans 7, the chapter just before that verse about not being condemned because we're in Jesus, Paul actually explains the purpose of the law. And he talks about how the law has been given as a true reflection of our spiritual condition. When we try to measure ourselves by a set of rules, it leads to either one of two things, pride or despair. Pride because some of us actually can convince ourselves that we can climb a ladder, that we can measure up, that we can meet a standard. And despair because we eventually come to our senses and realize that there is no chance of us ever winning that approval. The law is good because it paints a picture of God's love and kindness and holiness and goodness. And it's good because it helps us to recognize our sin. But it's good because ultimately, it's in recognition of our sin that leads us to recognize our need for a savior. Martin Luther made this comment about the law and grace. He says, what is this bruising and beating by the hand of the law to accomplish? This, that we may find the way to grace. The law is an usher to lead the way to grace. God is the God of the humble, the miserable, the afflicted. It is his nature to exalt the humble, to comfort the sorrowing, to heal the brokenhearted, to justify the sinners, and to save the condemned. The idea that a person can be holy by himself denies God the pleasure of saving sinners. God must therefore take, first take the sledgehammer of the law in his fist and smash the, be- the beast of self-righteousness and its brood of self-confidence, self-wisdom, self-righteousness, and self-help. When the conscience has been thoroughly frightened by the law, it welcomes the gospel of grace with its message of a savior who came into the world, not to break the bruised reed, but to preach glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, and to grant forgiveness of sins to all captives. The message of grace is the reality of what we have in Jesus. We all fail to measure up. We all fail to meet the standard. We are all broken in our sin until we know Jesus. And he is the one who does all these things, brings forgiveness, sets the captive free, heals the brokenhearted. Our message is good news. It is not one of condemnation, but one of hope, one of life in Jesus. And Paul is saying that we need to be prepared to speak about this, this reality of us personally, we, we hadn't, didn't have it all together to find ourselves in Jesus. We found ourselves broken and in desperate need of a savior. And what we found in Jesus was more than we could ever hope for. It's not a diluting of that message when we speak grace. It is the reality of the message in all of its fullness. It's not what we must do to be forgiven, but what has already been done for us. What is on offer for anyone who would receive it grace. That is the message that we have to share. That's what Paul has actually spent most of his letter writing about. And he's saying, okay, now in every conversation, allow grace to be your message. And then he goes on to say the second part, which has to do with delivery. 
He says, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer any, everyone. Salt has many different purposes in this world and throughout history, but this particular time when he's talking about salt and saying a seasoning, it is actually about flavoring. We have food and we know that food can be good for us. In fact, I don't know if you're a green smoothie fan. Um, I probably should get onto green smoothies. Maybe our whole office should get into green smoothies. Um, they're supposed to be really good for you. They don't always taste all that great, but they're good for you. Sometimes we add flavoring because what's good for us also needs to be palatable for us to hear. And when Paul is talking about speaking this message of grace seasoned with salt, he's saying the message doesn't change. The message is a good message, the message of Jesus. We don't change the message, but how we deliver it, we season it with salt so it's palatable for people to hear. Paul is actually telling us some things that he's actually lived out himself. In Acts 17, there's a time where Paul is among the people of Athens. He arrives ahead of other people and he spends some time living amongst them and looking at how they're living life. And he sees a whole pile of idols. And it's interesting what he does. In verse 16, it says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Now, he could have gone through and just actually started telling them how wrong they were. Maybe in righteous anger, smashed idols down, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't run through destroying their idols. He doesn't judge them for having them. But actually what it says in Acts 20, um, 17 verse 22, it says, Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I am telling you about. Paul actually uses this opportunity to say, hey, I have the knowledge of this God, the one true God, that you don't know, but let me make him known to you. He actually affirms as much as he can about them and then he speaks truth to them. He acknowledges their spiritual state, their hunger for spiritual things. He sits amongst them and listens. He sees this opportunity with this unknown God altar and actually even further on goes on to use their very own poets to affirm what he's saying is true about God. For Paul, the message of the gospel wasn't just meant to be a if it happens to come up kind of thing. His whole life was changed because he met Jesus. And meeting Jesus actually then propelled him to live a life of sharing the reality of Jesus with others. He felt the urgency. He understood that to get the truth out, the mode of delivery might need to change. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says this, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul understood that the life of Jesus, the life he's found in Jesus, is worth doing whatever it takes to get the message out. For Paul, it meant in this case, when he's writing to the people of Colossians, not to ask for them to pray that God would break down the prison walls and set him free, but actually that God would use that very circumstance to advance advance the gospel. In another part, Paul actually counsels Timothy that actually to win the Jews, he ought to be circumcised. There are sacrifices that are being made for the sake of of seeing the gospel advance. And that is what Paul is saying. Actually, when it comes to this truth, when we truly know who Jesus is, when our whole life has been transformed by the reality of his forgiveness, of the freedom that we've found in him, the life that comes from him, then we are actually, from the inside out, compelled to want to share that. We are actually, from the inside out, living testimonies of the very message itself. God's grace at work in us. God's power at work in us. Not perfect, but actually a living, breathing testimony of what God can do. And as our lives are lived out, as the urgency of sharing that is actually gripping our hearts, God does amazing things. It does require us to be willing to lay down our rights. It does require us to say this is actually of utmost importance. People matter. There are people in this world that don't know Jesus yet and the best news that they could ever hear is Jesus and they matter. What we do in this life matters in sharing Jesus with them. So what does that mean for us today? It means leveraging what we've got to make sure we can actually get the news out. And there are many ways that we are doing that. Being part of a church who loves Jesus and actually wants to keep pressing on is the most inspiring thing. It's what people, when they drive by and they see things happening here and they meet people and they're intrigued by it, that's actually the evidence of God. It is something that actually opens up doors for people. When people come in because they've seen something take place or they've met somebody or they want to know more, that's part of God's work. And part of what we're doing in building a new building is actually about making more room. It's about laying down our rights, the comforts that we could know to make more space so that people can come. It hasn't been the most comfortable time having a building site on the site here. There's been adjustments we've been made. You've been very gracious with that, thank you. Car parking's not always easy. If you've got kids and junior bus, sometimes you can get in that door, sometimes you can't get in that door, but we're making room because people matter. We're buying chairs because people matter. Not because we want to fill a building with chairs so that it looks good, but so there's space so that people can come. Leveraging the things that we have, what we're doing is amazing. What God is doing in us, actually, truth be told, that's amazing. There are so many things when they've just been sparks that have started that God has done incredible things with. We look at Dion over many years, an opportunity for the first peoples of our nation to have leadership and to restore and to bring um, healing and wholeness, not just in their own community, but also broader. We as a church are so blessed by that. As we look at the G'day Saturday and things that are taking place there, 
um, and opportunities that are just blooming and blossoming is incredible. Simultaneous translations of services in more than one language is phenomenal. But not just that there's an idea, but that God actually resources us with people who can do that as well. Incredible things that God is doing. Just last Sunday, we had a Sunday fun day for our kids up in Sunday Buzz. If you have children in primary school, you probably heard about it. Um, but all this term, we've actually been talking about the truth um, of this passage as well. We've, we've been studying Colossians with our primary school kids as well. And when we looked at um, this idea of what we have in Jesus and not holding it to ourselves, but wanting to share him with others, it's not an age-specific thing. It's not just when you get old enough, then you do it. That's actually everybody in the kingdom of God. Everybody who knows and loves Jesus can't help but want other people to know and love Jesus too. And so we've been talking to the kids about that. And we had this special day last Sunday where people could invite their friends to church. We had an epic time. Can I tell you? You were sitting down here. We were having the best time up there. Um, incredible things taking place. But oh my goodness, my heart was so blessed as I was talking to those kids and hearing their stories of the boldness that they had in inviting of their desire to see their friends here at church, but not just here at church, actually wanting to know Jesus and love him. Week after week, we have a prayer letterbox out there that kids can write prayer points in. And without, there's never a week that goes by that there's not a prayer point for someone to know Jesus posted in that letterbox by the kids here. One boy in grade three came along to Friday Night Buzz before the, just the Friday before our Sunday fun day. Um, and he brought a friend along from school his dad was saying, you know, he's been pretty busy inviting his whole class to school, um, to, sorry, to church here, which was really exciting. Um, and as they were leaving, I was handing out the Sunday fun day flyers. And the dad's like, oh, we've invited his whole class. We've got enough. But his son said, no, dad, there's still more people to come. That's the heart. That's actually the heart that we want to have. Because the reality is, this is of most importance. The gospel changes people's lives. Jesus changes people's lives. There are still more people to come. And when Paul says, actually make the most of every opportunity, it is an encouragement. It's not an obligation like I feel burdened now, I have to do this. But actually here is this wonderful opportunity. We know Jesus. We have life in Jesus. We have the confidence of forever with Jesus. And we have been placed here, positioned here, given people here to love and to make the most of every opportunity with, to share the message of grace, seasoned with salt. It means laying down our rights. The fullness of that we, we may not yet know, but it's a willingness to do that. Maybe it's about changing things that we've been doing and moving in different ways. Maybe it's songs that we sing that we might sing different ones into the future. It could be lots of different things. It's the heart of saying Jesus is what matters. And people who don't know him need to hear of him. And Paul's saying, be ready, be willing to be caught up in the midst of that. The number one thing that Paul has said all the way through this letter to the people of Colossians is that actually to do that reality, to share Jesus, to have the message of grace, is you need to know that truly for yourself. The biggest testimony is your own life transformed by the power of Jesus. And Tim Keller has said this, to the degree you grasp what Jesus did for you and rest in the salvation he brought for you, to that degree, this pattern of substitutionary sacrifice 
and love will be reproduced in your relationships and you will become the kind of person the world desperately needs. When we know the truth, when we grab a hold of the truth of Jesus and we allow his power to work in us and through us, out of that flows the most incredible thing. Many of us in this room, in the chapel, have given our hearts to Jesus. We have trusted what he has done for us on the cross. Our lives have been changed because of that. Maybe you remember that moment in time when you first trusted Jesus. Maybe it's been a gradual awakening for you. I was only a young child when I first trusted Jesus and I have, since that moment, become more aware of his grace, more aware of my need for him. But there have been times where it does get into that ticking the box, living out this because this is what we have. I was so challenged by this passage again that it's not an obligation. It is not supposed to be just run-of-the-mill stuff. This is what life in Jesus is about. This is what matters. I believe Jesus can and is changing the world. I believe that Jesus can change my world. The people that I have been meeting with week after week after week that don't yet know him. I believe Jesus can change the people in your world too. Wouldn't you do anything? Wouldn't you do anything so that you could actually make Jesus known? So that your family and your loved ones could actually have the opportunity not just to hear about him, but actually have their lives transformed by him. Our desire as a church is actually just to keep pressing on, to live our lives, to let people know everything that we do is actually about helping people who are living in darkness, surrounded by death, living in condemnation and sin, afraid of facing that, but actually to say that there is hope, there is an answer, and his name is Jesus. And he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. And life in him is life to the full. Jesus didn't die just so that we could come and gather together as a church. He died actually so the message could be known. He wants to change and save and transform people's lives all over the place, like he did for you and me, like he's longing to do for the rest of our community. And we have an important part to play in the midst of that as well. We want to be part of what God has commissioned us to do, not to grow weary, not to get into the monotony of it, but to realize afresh the realization that this is what matters. Jesus is what matters. To be like Jesus, that our conversations would be full of grace and seasoned with salt. I love this. Judah Smith says this, may we be unsettled by his love, unsettled by his beauty and his majesty. May it boggle our minds, this wonderful God, whose ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And yet he wants to use us to declare his glory, to declare the salvation message to this world. Oh Jesus, you are incredibly beautiful. We are actually mesmerized by you. There is no life apart from you. But life in you is life to the full. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for forgiveness that comes because you have won it for us that you willingly paid that price for us and that we can stand us in God's presence without condemnation because of Jesus. And even this morning, right now, even as we're praying, 
I recognize there may still be people here who have not yet had that opportunity to say, actually, I trust that what Jesus did in coming, in dying for my sin and rising again to conquer sin and death forever actually is true for me. I, I want to receive and believe the forgiveness of Jesus, but you haven't yet done that this morning. And so I want to offer you an invitation right now, even just as we're praying. This whole passage that Paul's been talking about is actually that this is life, life to the full. We're not to be weighed down in our sin. We're not to be condemned by our sin, even though it is condemnable, but Jesus actually has taken the condemnation for us. Now we can be free. Now we can be whole. Now we can know what it means to have a savior because he has come. He has paid for our sin, past, present, future. Knowing and deliberate and undeliberate and unknown sin, all those things paid in full. Today, if you wanna take that opportunity to say that you receive and believe in the forgiveness of Jesus and what he has won for you on the cross, just in this moment while we're praying, I wanna invite you just to raise your hand, even in the chapel as well, if that is you. I wanna pray with you and for you as you do that. As you do, I'm just gonna pray a prayer now that you can pray in your heart as well. Jesus, we thank you for your love. Thank you that you came. Thank you that we can trust in your finished work on the cross. Thank you that even though I am broken and I am a sinner, I am saved by you. I trust you. I receive and believe in your forgiveness today and choose to live by the power of your Holy Spirit in your ways. Oh God, we thank you that that's actually what you're longing to do for each one of us. This hope that we have comes because of the moments like this where we trust you, trust our life to you, trust the finished work on the cross is ours and life forevermore with you is ours. And we don't wanna hold that to ourselves, God. We actually wanna trust that you have given us this very message to go and share it to share it as a community here, as people keep coming along and as that building gets finished, God, we pray you would actually bring more people who haven't yet heard of you or haven't yet had the opportunity to choose you, that they will come, that they would hear of you, God, that they would find the transformation that comes in you. But not just in this place, God, we are praying to you that you would send us out and that in our families and our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces, wherever you would have us, God, we would be people who make the most of every opportunity. That our conversations will be full of your grace, full of you, Jesus. Give us a boldness, not, not like we've ever known before, God. Give us a courage not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, but actually to be so in awe of you, so full of your wonder that we can't help but proclaim what you have done for us and then make an opportunity for people to explore that truth for themselves. Help us, we ask, great God, as we keep continuing to live out your ways. Build your church, we ask, in your name, amen. As we finish this morning, we're gonna sing a beautiful song together. I wanna invite you to stand to your feet. The band's gonna lead us in this song. It's all about the reality of the Saviour that we have. Let's worship together this morning. Amen, let's thank you, church, this morning.
you're here this morning and that message is for you, you've never said yes to Jesus, never known forgiveness in your life. We have these Bible gift packs here. Maybe as Trish was praying, then you say, yes, that was me this morning for the first time. We'd love to give this to you as a free gift. There's a Bible in here, some information to help you on your journey. If you came with someone, tell them, I want to get a gift pack. I want to get a Bible gift pack. I want to know more about this message. We'd love to help you on that journey. The other thing I want to mention is that God is opening doors. Paul says there, pray that He would, God would open a door for our message. He is opening that door wide open. I want to tell you that. He's moving in power right across our community. Just this week, there was a barbecue on the building site for all the builders. Matt had a chance to share with all, there's been 30 or so builders there, share with them about our heart as a church. We told them they'd been prayed for a lot as builders and we're able to offer them a Bible gift pack and invite them to church. We're gonna invite them to our opening service over there, our official opening ceremony over there in the new auditorium. And I wanna tell you, God is moving in power. And I had a chance to pray for 30 builders on a work site over there. God is opening a door for the message. Pray for our Easter services, won't you? Please take these cards, letterbox drop, pray as you do that. Let me pray right now. Lord, we thank you that you're at work in incredible ways. Thank you for that young child here last Sunday, not from a church background, had a vision of you, Jesus, here in our service. The impact that has on a family, Lord. We pray again for our builders, Lord. We pray for these invitations they go out. We are asking, Lord, that you would pour out your blessing. Lord, you're going to help us to be able to welcome the crowds this Easter. You are, Lord. And we are praying there are going to be some incredible stories of opportunities that you're going to open up to share the best news in all the world. We cannot keep it to ourselves. So, Lord, we thank you. Our hearts soar, Lord, with gratitude to you this morning. We worship you. Bless our conversations now as we head in the courtyard. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Please be seated if you'd like prayer. Our prayer to me down the front. They'd love to pray for you. Bible gift packs down the front as well. Do stay for a tea and coffee.